Amen. So Revelation uh, chapter 6, uh, we get into the, the portion of the book of Revelation now. As you guys remember, just a little brief brief uh, review of what we studied up, up until this point. Uh, we are in the third major division of the book of Revelation. You guys remember the, the book of Revelation starts off by, by giving us this, this divine outline. right? The only book of the Bible in which God himself gives you the outline of the book. And if you guys remember John, as he received a vision for the book of Revelation, the angel told him, right, write the things which, which you see, the things which are, and the things which will be. The things which, which you see now, the things which are, and the things which are, are still to, to happen. And so the things which, which John saw were in chapter 1. And then the things which were, were uh, in chapters 2 to 3. And now we get into the portion where now the uh, future events. You know, and we're going to be studying the, the events of, of the seven-year tribulation period and things that come after that. So now we're in the portion of the book of Revelation, which is the things which, which will be. And that goes on from chapters 4 to 22, to all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. And so we see that uh, in chapter 4, we saw the awesome throne of God uh, and the worship of the Father as creator. You guys remember that there was just this doxology just burst out in heaven of just this spontaneous praise, right? And, and everybody was in heaven, the angels, the elders, everybody was just praising God for, 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 for his, his miraculous works, for his glory, right? And so this, 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 this worship just burst out in heaven and we got this little glimpse into it, which I think is amazing. You know, it's like we kind of eavesdropped into, into, into heaven and worship, right? And then in chapter five, we saw the lamb who had been slain and worthy to take the scroll and loosen the seven seals and then we saw the church present in heaven, uh, represented by the 24 elders who were, all, who were also there, worshiping the Lamb who redeemed them. And if you guys remember there, in chapter 5, uh, one of the visions that John saw is that he saw a scroll. Remember? We went over it. Uh, he saw a scroll, and it was tied with, 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 seven, uh, with, with, seven, um, with, with, with seven ties. I don't know what it's called. You know, with seven ties. And, he said, and the Bible tells us that he began to weep. They began to weep bitterly because he recognized that there was no one worthy to unloosen uh, the, the, this scroll. All right? And so as he began to weep, then he sees the Lamb of God. And he says, he says that he sees Jesus as a Lamb who had been slain. And that he was worthy to unloosen uh, the, the, the ties on this scroll. And so we get now into uh, chapter 6. You know, we're going to begin to see the seven-year tribulation uh, that is to come upon the world. And that's actually going to be covered from chapter 6 all the way to 18. From 6 to 18, it covers the seven-year tribulation period. And we're going to see God's wrath and judgment uh, poured out in seven seals, and seven trumpets, and in seven bowl judgments. I'm go through them as, as we kind of just uh, tarry along. And so, these last seven years are, are, are identified with the seventh, the seventieth week of Daniel. There in chapter nine. If, you, if you're with us when we studied the book of Daniel, if you guys remember on Wednesday nights, and we went through that amazing vision that, that Daniel received right there in chapter nine uh, of the of the seventy weeks, we're told that that, that sixty nine of those weeks were fulfilled. There was this kind of gap in between, this limbo, right? And then the, the, the last week, which is a, a period of seven years, wasn't going to be until the very end. And this is actually what, what we know as the tribulation period, uh, the, the seven-year tribulation period. And so what we're about to read, you know, it, it takes place in that 70th, 70th week of Daniel. And so with that, uh, we're going to jump into chapter 6, verse 1. And it says, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder. And he said, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And then, now the second seal says, verse 3, When he opened the second seal, I, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. And another horse, a fiery red a horse, went out, and it was granted to the one uh, who sat on it to take peace from the earth, 
and to and, and the people that the people should kill one another and then and there was given to him a great sword and the verse 5 says the now the third seal and when he opened the third seal i opened i said he said i heard the third living creature say come and see and i so i looked and behold a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand and i heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a denarius and the, and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine and so we'll stop right there we'll kind of just we'll, we'll, we'll break it down and see what, what we're looking at here and so we see that that the first seal now is open remember so we're, we're, it's still that same vision uh it's still referring to the scroll introduced in chapter five remember when 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 john saw that scroll it was one scroll with seven seals on it. And now he's seen the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, unloosing the, the, the seals one by one by one. And as he's unloosing these seals one by one, every time he unloosens one of them, something just pops off. You know, and uh, so we see that, again, that, that this is the same scroll from, from chapter 5. It's referring to, to, that, to that same scroll. And we're going to see seven seals opened up. And the first four seals uh, cover the first half of the tribulation period. And the last three cover the second half of the tribulation period. Now, uh, we see that the scroll contained every judgment that needed to take place in the tribulation period in order to, to take back the authority, the, the dominion uh, of the earth. Uh, that, that dominion and authority that was forfeited by, by Adam there in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, what, what, what he really did is that there was a transaction that took place there. Because he gave up his, his, his own will to Satan. And God had, had given Adam dominion over the whole world, over the animals. So when, when Adam bowed his, bowed his will to Satan, he, there was a transaction that was made. And, and Adam forfeited the, the dominion and the authority over the earth and everything in it to Satan. Right? And so it took Jesus Christ becoming a man because it was a man who forfeited the authority. It took Jesus Christ becoming a man, dying on the cross, defeating death, in order so he could take that, 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 uh, that authority and that dominion of the earth back into his hands. And so with this transaction in mind, you know, uh, we see now this, this, this scroll. And this scroll is, is everything, is what's contained in there. This title due to the earth and, and all the judgments and, and, and all the things that need to happen upon the earth in this last week in order for this transaction to be complete. Now, when we see here, you know, the, the, in those very first verses, it says that John was there. It says that he looked, you know, and, and he heard someone saying, come and see, right? And so when he went and he saw it and he looked, he says that he, be, he beheld and he saw a white horse. And it says that he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquering. Now, be honest, just by reading that, you know, man, you see a white horse, you think of something victorious. You see a white horse, someone's riding on the horse. There's someone gives him a crown, he has a bow, and he's out there conquering and, 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 and just conquering left and right. I mean, who do you think of, right? I mean, uh, can, I, can I speculate and say that, that we think about Jesus, right? And, and just by reading it and not going any deeper, you may think, man, it's Jesus. Man, Jesus came back, he's already on the white horse, and he's conquering, right? He has a bow, he's doing battle. But really, we're going to see that, that, that this person who, who, who mounts on this white horse, you know, is, is not the Christ, but he's the Antichrist, you know, um, we see that, that, that John heard this voice like thunder, you know, symbolic of just his authority and judgment. Now, notice that, that it's the Lamb, Jesus, who is opening the seal and an angel who is making the invitation to come. So we have these two persons already. Jesus, the angel making the invitation to come, and John just kind of just watching it all play out. So this is the first of the four horses of the apocalypse. You guys are familiar with the Metallica song, the four horsemen. I'm pretty sure it's referring to this, you know. But so, so we're going we're gonna to read about four horsemen of the apocalypse. 
And so this is, the, this is the first of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now the first is a white horse, you know, and this white horse is, is symbolic of peace. And you think of a white horse, you think about, you know, Lord of the Rings, I don't know if you're a Lord of the Rings nerd, you know, and I mean, I love Lord of the Rings, me and Liz, we go watch the, the, the whole trilogy over and over for hours, right? And you guys remember that scene, you know, when Gandalf comes back as Gandalf the White, and he's riding on a white horse as like, you know, this uh, Prince of Peace, the picture of a Prince of Peace. And so a white horse is symbolic of peace. And so we see this first white horse uh, show up on the scene, symbolic of peace, but it's going to be a false peace. You know, symbolic of the of the of the Christ, but it's going to be the Antichrist. And we see that that Satan, he's the greatest counterfeit of all, right? We're we're covering this on Wednesday nights. So we're going through the plagues uh, that, that, are, that are falling on Egypt and on Pharaoh. And you guys remember as we're going through some of those plagues, uh, if you're here on Wednesday um, and you're familiar with the story, Moses and Aaron would go to Pharaoh. They throw their rod, they do a miracle, and what did Pharaoh do? He calls magicians and sorcerers, and they would duplicate the, the same miracle. They would uh, imitate it. Right? They, they, they could only imitate it, but they couldn't reverse it. And then Moses and Aaron would come back and they would do, they would do another miracle. And what did these guys do? They, they did something similar to it, right? They did it with the rods and the, and the snakes. They did, they did it with the water and to wine. And then, and then they did it with the frogs. We remember that. And we mentioned how Satan, he's just a great uh, counterfeit. He's not an originator. He, he couldn't make any, something come out of nothing. Only God can do that. Right? And so here we see just another picture of, of, of Satan's just uh, uh, his, his nature to, to deceive. Right? And to counterfeit. And so he's going to come in with this false sense of peace, this false sense of hope, this, this false sense of just a, a victory. Right? And he's going to deceive many. And so this person riding in this white horse is, uh, is, is the Antichrist. Now, you can't have, and, and, I, and I say that, you know, something you could, be, you could be thinking, all right, well, how do you know? You know I mean, that's a, kind of a long shot. But, but just think about it. You know, as we're reading this, we're seeing Jesus is the one opening the scrolls, the angels announcing the meditation to come, and, and John is watching it all go down. Now, you can't have Jesus open up the scroll and, 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 and riding on the white horse at the same time. You know, so these are two separate individuals. And so we see that in Scripture, horses uh, are associated with, with triumph. They're associated with, with majesty, with power, with conquest. And some people, you know, they, they, they would read this and see this, this individual coming on this white horse. And, and uh, if they're familiar with the book of Revelation, they would think about chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. And chapter 19, 11, it says this. It says, now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. So another white horse in the book of Revelation later on down the scene. It says, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. The contrast to this Antichrist, the, the contrast to this, to this great counterfeiter. That when Jesus comes on the scene later on, you know, he's going to come victorious. Right? He's going to come uh, riding on a white horse. But you know, he's going to be called faithful, true. And it says that, that in righteousness he's going to judge and make war. As opposed to this guy who comes in riding on the white horse uh, just with a bow, but yet no arrows, right? So no, no real power behind it. Now, yeah, we see that this, this, this rider wears a, a crown as well. Here in, the, in, in chapter 6, we're told that, that a crown was given to him, right? A crown was given to him. Now, interesting that, that when you break it down in the Greek, you know, when, when it says here in chapter 6 that a crown was given to this rider on the white horse, this Antichrist, the word for crown here is, is the Greek word Stephanos. Which is a different type of crown. It's a crown uh, that, that was usually won as a prize, like in the Olympics. Uh, it, it was a crown that was made of a, a, a wreath with a, from a fern, and it would only last a, a short time, right? It was made out of like uh, those are fake, you know, but plants. So eventually, they would just dry up and it would just brittle away. It was temporary. It, it, it wasn't eternal. 
Now in Revelation chapter 19, when it talks about Jesus, you know, and he's wearing these many crowns. The Greek word for, for the crowns that Jesus is wearing is a, is a Greek word, uh, diadems. And it speaks of this royal crowns that, that last forever. And right? so we see that contrast there. Now, we see that, that, uh, that Christ returns at the end of the tribulation, right? Not at the beginning. That's another insight as, as to why we know that, that this is actually the, the, the false Christ, the false Messiah, the Antichrist. Because Christ is going is to return at the end of the, of, the revel, of the tribulation period, not in the middle of it, not in the beginning. He returns at the end of it, once it's all said and done. Right? The book of, uh, of, of Daniel uh, tells us this. It says, there in Daniel 8.23, it says, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, talking about the Antichrist, is that a king shall arise having fierce features who understand sinister schemes. And so Daniel gives us his insight about the, about the Antichrist who's going to come on the scene at, at, on, the, on the last days during the tribulation period. And he tells us that he's going to do war, he's going to deceive many, but he's not going to lift a finger in battle. Right? Now notice that, 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 this, that this rider comes in riding on this white horse. We're told that he has a bow, but he has no arrows. Now, now you would think, man, a bow is useless without any arrows, right? I mean, what's, what's a bow if you don't have any arrows? It's, I mean, it's useless. And so we see that, that, that this rider comes in with, with a bow, but no arrows. And so we see that he's going to, it also tells us that he went out conquering and to conquering and to conquer. So this is really a satanic dictator who will persuade the world to follow him, you know, with this, with this smooth words, with his, uh, you know, he's going to say the right things, he's going to be a great orator, like it told us in the book of Daniel. Right? And so he's not going to have to go out there and do, and do battle. You know, he's going to somehow persuade people to kind of just uh, uh, give up their, their authority, give up their, their power, and to bow the knee to him. Right? And so we see again that, that, that Daniel gives us more, more insight on that. And interesting what the Apostle Paul tells us there in 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.3, Paul says, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. And we, we see that this is really what's going on, you know, is that this, this Antichrist comes on the scene riding on a white horse, you know, with a bow, no arrows, and everybody thinks, all right, peace. It's, it's a time of peace. Keep in mind that, that, that the rapture of the church has already occurred and probably millions of individuals have just disappeared from the earth. I mean, you can imagine the, the impact that the workforce is going gonna, is gonna, is gonna to take. Imagine just all of a sudden, you know, all the Christians are, are just, just disappeared, are taken away. All of a sudden, man, you know, anyone with the drive throughs uh, all the Chick-fil-A's are empty. You know, you don't have anybody on, on the construction sites. I mean, people who are in law enforcement, all these, all these places, right? All of a sudden, there's going to be this huge gap in, in the workforce. And so there's going to be chaos. There's going to be chaos. I mean, we're seeing just a tiny, tiny bit of it, right? I mean, you go everywhere and everywhere has a now hiring sign. Right? I went to McDonald's this morning and they slipped in a, an application in my, in my bag. I guess they're doing it to everybody. You know, the, 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 uh, at, the, at the McDonald's by my pad, they, I opened the bag and there's a pink application. They, they're in desperate need of, of, of workers, right? Us, at my job, I mean, we're, we're, we're falling behind because we don't have any workers. Now, just imagine this on a, on, a, on, a, on a bigger scale. All of a sudden, you know, all the Christians are gone from the earth. And if you could just imagine the impact it's going to have on the economy. And so everyone's in turmoil. Everyone's in distress. Everyone's worried. Everyone's just, you know, chaotic. And all of a sudden, here comes this Antichrist with this false sense of peace, Right? And everyone's going to think, all right, you know, that's it. This is our Savior. This is our Christ. This is our Messiah. He's going to be, you know, he's, he's the one who's going to bring peace to the world. And, and all of a sudden, man, destruction is going to come. Just like Paul said, that, that when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. And then we read about the second seal. And the second seal brought about uh, this fiery red horse. 
You know, and, and the, the second seal really what, what it's describing is, is a time of war. And so first we had this, this time of false peace. And after this time of false peace came a time of war. And just as World War II followed the, the deceptive uh, peace promoted by Hitler, right? That's what he did, is that he gathered up all the people, right? And he, he promoted this, his, uh, this empire. He promoted this change in the world. He promoted, you know, peace uh, 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 as long as, you know, they keep his agenda. But what followed after, after all those things, after all those great things that he, that he said? Man, World War II. And so just as, as World War II followed the deceptive peace promoted by Hitler, so will war follow this deceptive peace promoted by this Antichrist. Revelation 12, 3 tells us, it says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. And so we see that Revelation chapter 12 describes Satan as a, as a great uh, fiery red dragon. Right? And now we're, we're looking at this horse who was a horse who was fiery red. And so really what this is describing, you know, with, with these horsemen is, is, is the work of Satan. It, it's, it's, a, it's a work of the devil. Right? It uses the same, the same uh, uh, verbiage to describe him. So it, it's a work of Satan himself. Interesting. And we see that it is granted to, to this horseman to take peace out of the earth. And we're told that people will kill and be killed at his command. So we're told that he's going to be given a, a, a sword. It's not going to be a literal sword. He's not going to go around the world and just stabbing people to death. You know, but, but, but the sword is just symbolic of, of authority. You know, so he's going to have the authority to have people killed and, and, to, and to kill. Right? And, to, and to let other people kill each other. I don't know what that's going to look like, but we're told you know, he's going to have this, this authority. This, this great authority to, to, to kill and to have people be killed. Now, then we look at the third seal. And we saw that as the third seal was being opened, it brought about this black horse now. You know, and, the, and this, this third seal, what it is, it, it's describing a worldwide famine that's going to come upon the earth. And, I mean, historically, you know, if you look at, at history and, and if you study all the other wars and things that have gone down, you know, in, in the history of our time, we see that historically, famine has always followed a war, right? War comes, then what? Famine. War, famine, poverty, then death. And really, this is just the, the, the same timeline that, that we're looking at right now, right? The first seal was what? False peace. Second seal was what? A war. And now this, this third seal with this black horse is, uh, we're going to see a famine now. This famine. And so, uh, we see that, that the extent of the famine is, is severe. We're told that a quart of wheat is going to be sold for a denarius. And three quarts of barley for a denarius. Now, understanding that, that a denarius in, in John's time was the equivalent of one day's wage. Man, can you imagine that? Imagine going to work all day, whether, whatever type of work it is, you know, if it's hard, laborious work, going to work for one day, eight hours, 10 hours, whatever that, 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 that work day looks like. You know, in order, it, and, and when you leave work, they pay you just enough to buy uh, a quart of wheat. That's crazy, you can't do anything. You can't feed a family with a quart of wheat. You can't do anything with a quart of wheat. But we're told that, that in, the, in the tribulation period, you know, that, that's what the economy is going to look like. You know, that, 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 man, it would take a, a whole day's wage just to buy a quart of wheat. Man, I mean, we're seeing some inflation right now, right? I mean, uh, gas is up, the meat's up, you go to the grocery store. I just went to Walmart the other day, I spent like 150 bucks on like three bags of groceries. I was so mad, I almost wanted to return everything. I'm like, man, I can't believe I just bought this. Right, and it's uh, and so it's like we're seeing just a little, a little bit of of, of, of inflation now. Just times that by like three thousand. You know that's what's gonna be like in the tribulation period. It's like man, someone's gonna have to go to work all day just to buy a quart of wheat, which you can't do anything with. So you can just imagine, you know, the chaos that that's gonna be uh, going on in the world at that time. 
And so verse 7 now, looking at the fourth seal, tells us this in verse 7. It says, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of, the, of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with them. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and, and by the beast of the earth. And verse 9 says, now looking at the fifth seal. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for their testimony, which they had held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each one of them, and it was said to them that, that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And so what's going on here is that as we look at this fourth seal, you know, we, we, we see the fourth seal being opened, and it unleashes now another horse, described as a pale horse. A pale horse. Now, we're told that, that upon this pale horse was a rider by the name of Death. You know, he's talking about little Death. And so death, John sees this vision of death riding on a pale horse, followed by Hades, which Hades is, is, is the place of the dead, uh, um, synonymous with, with hell. So he says, he, see, he sees death and hell riding on horses. It's heavy. It's heavy. Now, when you look at that, at that word pale, describing this pale horse, the Greek word for this, for this word pale is the word chloros, which describes the pale, the ashen green characteristic of a, decompo of a decomposing corpse. And so that's what John has seen is that he, as he's seen this, this pale horse with death on it. You know, it, he's seen this, this, this pale, greenish, slimyish, decomposing horse with death riding on it. That's heavy. That's heavy. Now, we're told that the rider on this pale horse was death and Hades followed close by. You know, now, now keep this in mind that it's just the order of things, right? First comes death. And then comes the place where the dead where the dead go, and so as John has seen these horses, you know, with the riders on them, death in the front and Hades behind them, you know, it's just the the natural order of, of, of things. Death comes first into the life of the individual, and then the place of where that person goes after they're dead. And so here comes death riding the horse with Hades falling falling right behind him, heavy. Now we see that power was given to him to kill over a fourth of the earth. We could read right through that and think, oh, that's a lot of people, right? But we never really sit down and do the math. And it's like, when you do the math, or at least get close to doing the math, you know, you think, man, that's, that's a lot of people. Um, according to Google, I don't know how true this is, but you know, it seems pretty true. But according to Google, the Earth's population is around 7 billion. At least that's what it was last night. You know, people are being born, you know, every second. But at least last night, uh, the Earth's population was 7 billion. Now keep in mind that, that, that this first horse, that this, this, this pale horse with death on it, uh, he's going to be given the power to kill a, a, a fourth of the earth. And so let's say today the earth's population is 7 billion. Uh, you divide that by, by 4 and you get roughly around 1,750,000,000 people that, that, that are going to die just within a few period of years, a, a few amount of years. That's crazy. We're not even uh, at the end of the seven-year tribulation period and, and this is how many people it's going to affect already. And let me read that number again. One billion seven hundred fifty million people that are gonna, you know, be taken by, by by death and going to Hades, which is hell. Now that's that's heavy. That's heavy. You know, that's a lot of people who will die in the tribulation period, right? And then looking at the fifth seal, the fifth seal now 
is, is bringing about this persecution upon the earth. You know, specifically, you know, this martyrdom, this, this persecution for, for, for a Christian faith. So, and so we enter now, with the fifth seal, we enter now into the, the second half of the seven-year tribulation period. Right, so now we're in the second, the second three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period. And we're told that John saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for their faith in Jesus during the tribulation period. And so we're told that, that, that people, that, that people are, are still going to be saved during the tribulation period. Right? It's not, all right, that's it, man. You had your, your last chance, your last, your last opportunity to, 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 to come to the Lord. That's it. Now, you know, hell and brimstone and all these things. No, God is a gracious God. Right? Sometimes he's portrayed as this just vengeful, just mental, you know, fierce, angry God. But that's not him. We see that God's going to extend mercy to the very end. And so now as we're getting to the second half of the tribulation period, uh, we see that John sees the souls of those who had been slain for their faith in Jesus through this tribulation period. And so many people will say, I mean, I've heard it say, you know, I have family members who say this, I'm going to wait till the very last minute, right? Yeah, I know God. Yeah, you know, I have a conviction within me. I know the Bible, but I'm going to wait till the very last minute to give my life to the Lord, right? People do it all the time on the deathbed. Right? And, and they think, oh, I'm going to live my life however I want. And I'll wait till the very last second to just, Lord, I'm sorry. And repent and give my life to the Lord. But we see that. I mean, I, I, there's a family member you know, that I talk to. And I tell him this. I'm like, man, if you can't live for the Lord now, there's no way you're going to die for Him when it, come, when it comes down to it. You know, if you can't live for the Lord now, there's no way you're going to give your life for Him you know, when you're really faced with it. And it's true. It's true. And so we see that, that nonetheless, you know, there is going to be people who are going to be saved during the tribulation period. You know, and then we're told that John hears them cry out. And they cry out with a loud voice. And they're crying out to God and they say, Lord, how much longer until you avenge our deaths? So here they are, they're like in this kind of waiting period type of thing. You know, they're, 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 they're being killed for their faith. And now they're, they're just there at the throne of God and they're kind of waiting for like the, I guess, to enter into heaven you know, for the fullness of it. And, and they're seeing all this go down in earth still, you know, to all the people who they love, all the people who stay behind. They're, they're seeing just more people get killed for their faith and all this destruction come upon the earth. And they cry out to God and say, Lord, how long? How long until you, you, until you avenge our death? How much longer, Lord? Right? And then we see that John saw a white robe given to each one of them. So each one of those who were crying out, Lord, how long? The Lord answers him. You know, he answers him by, by giving them a white robe, which is, which is symbolic and, and, and representative of... of this righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. You know, and it's like, even though they had to wait a little bit longer, you know, for the, for the finished part, because like the Lord gave them those robes, and He's telling them, look, it's already done. It's, it's already done. Right? The rest is just, it just waited, but it's already done. Right? And so we see that, 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 that again, that they, that they were told that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants, meaning that there's going to be more people killed, than until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And so we see that, that, that the Lord during the tribulation period, during the specific seven year tribulation period, we see that the Lord, that there's a set number of people who, who are going to be saved. You know, and, and only God knows that number. We don't know that number. There's no type of mathematical equation that I could come up with. And like, oh, that's this number. We don't know. We're going to see later on that, that, that actually that not even John knew. You know, but, but, but we see that the Lord knows that there's a set amount of people who are going to come to the Lord during the tribulation period. Because you know, he says that, that, that these guys were to wait until, until, until the number was completed, right? So there's a set number. And so verse 12 goes on to say now with the sixth seal. It says, I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, 
there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of, of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late its late figs when it's shaken by the mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And so as, as we're looking at this, this sixth seal now, now we're told that, that as, as this sixth seal is being opened, you know, it, it unleashes just this earthquake and, and just all this uh, cosmic disaster upon the earth. We see that John starts seeing uh, 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 stars fall from heaven, like 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 figs off of a of a, of a fig tree that's shaken. You know, what it is? I mean, we could relate it to comets, you know, or, or, or meteors. It's like this huge meteor shower that just that just starts falling falling on the earth, right? This huge meteor shower, stars are hitting the the, the the earth. I mean, you could just imagine the destruction that's going on, right? Interesting that 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 there's three earthquakes mentioned in the Book of Revelation. This one here in Revelation six twelve. There's another one mentioned in Revelation 11:13, and then there's a third earthquake mentioned in Revelation 16, verse 18 and 19. And so this is the first of the three earthquakes that are mentioned in the book of Revelation, and this is actually just—it's uh, just as the prophet Joel had described it, man, a couple hundred years before. The prophet Joel, there in Joel 2:31, he says this: He says, prophesying about about the day of the Lord, prophesying about the day of the Lord, which is talking about the seven-year tribulation period. Prophesying about the day of the Lord, the prophet Joel says this in Joel 2.31. He says, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And so we see that all this, I mean, no doubt it's some heavy stuff, right? I mean, this pure destruction upon the earth. Something that, that, that nobody wants to go through, right? And, and, and we see that all this, God is doing to get the attention of the people. Right? Not because he wants to punish him, not because he wants to just unleash his wrath, you know, and God's so angry he needs someone to take it out on. It's not that he's trying to just punish everybody on the earth for rejecting him. But what he's doing, he's trying to get the attention of the people to get them to realize that, 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 that their time is short. That, that their time is short and their time is up. Right? And what he's doing is that, is that he's extending grace by allowing them to see these things. We're going through, again, through Exodus on Wednesday nights. And we mentioned how even the plagues. You know, what, what was God doing by, by bringing upon these plagues uh, uh, on, on the Egyptians? Is that He was attacking, attacking every one of their, of their Egyptian deities. You know, the, they, would, they would have a God over the Nile River. They would have a God, you know, of the flies. They would have a God, you know, of every single one of these plagues that, that the Lord unleashed on them. It was representative of, a, of an Egyptian deity. And so what God was doing by bringing upon these plagues is that He was showing them, Look, man, these gods are nothing. I'm the one true God. And them seeing that, it should naturally just cause them to say, Man, Lord, what am I doing serving these little idols? What am I doing serving these little gods? You're the one true God. These are nothing. And so God was doing it as an extension of His grace, as an extension of His mercy, right? So that they could know Him and they could, they could serve Him as well. And many did, but, but not all of them. And so and this, this, these things that are coming upon the earth now in the seven-year tribulation period are the same thing. You know, just God extending His mercy so that people could see. I mean, sometimes it takes something harsh. Sometimes it takes something severe in order for someone to realize, man, I'm lost. I need the Lord. All right, I need help. Lord, help me. Sometimes it takes something severe. And you would think, you know, after uh, millions of people are just disappeared, are raptured into the sky, 
You know, you would think after, you know, all these prophecies are fulfilled, after, after them seeing all these things, wars and, and famine and all these things, you would think that, that they would recognize, man, this is the hand of God. And they did. They recognized that it was the hand of God. But yet, notice what, 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 what their response was. You know, so the, the response of the people to all these things coming upon them. It tells us that they hid in the rocks and they hid in the caves and they, and they said to the rocks, fall on us, fall on us, fall on us. Uh, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne talking about God and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb that's heavy that's heavy what they're saying is I would rather die I would rather have this boulder fall on me I would rather you know, suffer a painful death I would rather die than repent and turn to God their hearts were hardened you know, after seeing all these things they said, I would rather die than, than, than turn to God man the hardness of you know of, of, of the hearts of men sometimes. You know, after seeing all these things, you know, go down on the earth, after seeing probably a lot of their loved ones, family members go through all these things, they're saying, Lord, I'd rather die, you know, than, than bend the knee to you. I'd rather die than you know than join you. I'd rather die than all these things. Heavy, heavy. And so chapter seven now, uh, again a continuation of this. It says this in chapter seven. It says, and after these things. I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth and the sea or any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried out with a loud voice and uh, to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm uh, the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, do not harm the sea or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard of one number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of, cho- of the children of Israel were sealed. And then from verses uh, 5 to 8, you know, you guys can read it on your own, it, it's, it, where it's mentioned uh, 12,000 from, from, uh, from all the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we're given this number now. Uh, we see that, 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 that immediately after the events of, of the seal of chapter 6, when, when it says right there in chapter 7, after these things, the Greek word is metatauta. So metatauta, meaning like immediately after these things. Metatauta. Because immediately after these things, immediately after, after the events of, of, the, of the sixth seal, John sees this. And he sees uh, four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the wind. Now, right off the bat, no, the Bible is not teaching that there is a flat and that has four corners. And I, say, I have to say it because you're going to run, run into a YouTube video or someone crazy you know, saying that the earth is flat and... All this and that, it's a conspiracy theory, all kinds of crazy stuff. And, and they'll use verses like this to kind of support their, 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 their belief or support their ideas and say, look, the Bible's teaching that the earth is flat. Things like this will also be used by critics, you know, to criticize the Bible, criticize our Christian faith and say, look, man, the Bible's outdated, you know, a bunch of idiots wrote it, they thought the earth was flat, you know, and then here it is, they're writing, it has, it has four corners. When, when in reality, you know, this is an expression, uh, it, it's a figurative expression. You know, and it's a figurative expression to, to describe uh, the earth in its entirety. When they say the four corners of the earth, it's meaning, hey, the north, south, uh, west, and east. Right? It's not saying literally that the earth has four little corners. It's saying hey, the entirety of the whole earth. And so we see that, that, that John sees his angels holding back the four winds, the wind of the north, of the south, of the west, and of the east. So it's, just, it's figurative language. We use it every day. If you watch the news every day, you, you probably hear it every day, but yet no one ever corrects the meteorologist. Right? No one ever, ever corrects the weatherman when he says, the sun rose at 6 in the morning this morning. 
when we know that the sun doesn't rise, but what's happening is that the earth is spinning uh, at an axis and a rotation around the sun. But yet we didn't say, oh, the, the earth spun on, uh, the, spun, the earth spun at, at this distance, at this speed around the sun at six in the morning. No, we say things like the earth, uh, the, the, sun's, the sun rose at six in the morning or the sun sat at 7 p.m., right? So it's figurative language. So don't let, don't let it get to you, right? Or don't let anyone mess, mess with you when it comes to that. And so we see that John, uh, he sees these angels and then he sees one more angel. And he sees this, this other angel come and he says that, that this angel had the seal of God. We don't know if it's a physical seal. We don't know what it looked like. My opinion is that it was uh, the seal of the Holy Spirit. And, and this is just my opinion. Everyone, a lot of great Bible teachers have different opinions. I, I'm kind of just, I'm, I'm doing my own homework right now. I, I don't know where I'm at on this. But, but I personally believe that it is, it is the seal of the Holy Spirit. Um, there in Ephesians, in, in, the, in the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul tells us that, that, that us as believers, that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit as a, as a down payment you know, for, for our faith. You know, and, and so that we're told that, that, that God seals us with this Holy Spirit and, it, and that, and that this, this, this seal of the Holy Spirit you know, is, is a down payment expressing that He's going to come back for us. Right? It's His Holy Spirit. So I definitely believe that it's a seal of the Holy Spirit uh, uh, on the believers during the tribulation period. Um, I, I've, I've mentioned to you guys, you know, I'm, I'm of the opinion that, that during the tribulation period, the Holy Spirit is still going to be on earth. I know there's many different opinions about that, even within Calvary Chapel. It's not a big thing. I mean, it's not heretical. You can have your own opinions on this. But I believe that, that, that the Holy Spirit is still going to be present on earth during the tribulation period. And this is why, because the Holy Spirit is God and him being God, he is omnipresent. And in order for the Holy Spirit to be taken from the earth, you would need to cease from being omnipresent. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 tells us that nobody can say that, that, the, that Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And the, whole, the Bible does not contradict itself. And so based on that, that's just my argument. You know, I believe that, 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 that the Holy Spirit is going to be on earth. You know, it, it's still convicting people, still helping people to, to come to the Lord and to understand uh, the, just the, the, the depravity of, 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 their, of their sinful nature you know, and, and, and drawing people to Christ. Right? Uh, the Lord Jesus, when He was with the disciples there in John chapter 14, remember He told them about the Holy Spirit, about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He, he told them, hey, I have to leave. It's necessary that I leave because if I don't leave, then the Comforter won't come. The Paracletus in the Greek. And he tells them, you know him because he is with you and he will be in you. And so, and so the Holy Spirit is present with us at all times. Right? God is omnipresent. So the Holy Spirit is present with us at all times. And so again, in order for the, for the Holy Spirit to be taken from the earth, uh, he would need to cease from being omnipresent. And that's already now attacking uh, God's deity and, and, and the person of Christ and, and, and his attribute. And that's getting into a whole, you know, another little dark area. So that's just my opinion. So I'm of the opinion that, that, that when, the, when, when John saw this angel coming with the seal, that it was just symbolic of the seal of the Holy Spirit now on these believers. Because we see that, that, he, that he's going to seal uh, specific individuals. We're told there in verse 3 that he said, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God. Notice that. Till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now that word servants is the Greek word doulos, you know, which is a, a, a willful bond servant. Meaning people who recognize you know, their, and, and, and who, who bended their, their, their will to, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We as Christians, would you be considered a doulos if you've done that? I consider myself a doulos, a, a bond servant, a servant, because I said, Lord, be Lord of my life. You, know, you do whatever you want with my life. And so the seal was, was for the, the servants of God. You know, and so we're told that, 
that it was a seal that was on their foreheads. So I don't believe that it was a physical seal, like a stamp that said uh, belongs to God or anything like that. I believe it was just symbolic of just, uh, of, again, of the Holy Spirit upon them, right? That's my opinion. And then as, as John goes on to describe, you know, what he saw, uh, we're told that he sees, uh, that he sees uh, these angels seals uh, 144,000 servants of God in that tribulation period. He goes on to describe these 144,000 as 12,000 from every tribe of Israel. So these are Jews. It's important to know that these are Jews. They're not Jehovah's Witnesses. And I have to say that because there's Jehovah's Witnesses that, that teach. If you're familiar with Jehovah's Witness doctrine, and if you're not, then, then you'll learn today that the Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in heaven. Well, they don't believe in heaven for everybody. They believe that, that only 144,000 good Jehovah's Witnesses are going to go to heaven. They have this convention every year where they... A lot of them get all together and they pass the, 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 the cup of wine and a bread and you're not supposed to take from it. But they, they, they teach that, uh, that, it, that at those conventions, if, if they're passing it around, there's like hundreds of people there. And if somebody gets the inclination to take, to take from it and they take from it, that means that they're one of the 144,000. And so they believe that, that, that the 144,000 are 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses and they teach it faithfully. They teach it faithfully. You, you talk to anyone on the street, I, I, I encourage you to. Talk to anybody that you see, any Jehovah's Witness you see on the bus stop or, or on the street, ask them, ask them about this. And they're going to say with all surety, you know, that's us. It's talking about Jehovah's Witnesses. If they would just read on a little further, they would see that it's 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from Reuben, 12,000 from Gad, 12,000 from Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, which is uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, and Benjamin. So 12,000 specific, specifically from the, from the tribes of Israel, not Jehovah's Witnesses. So don't let anybody mess with you when it comes to that either. And so it goes on to say there in verse 9 now. He says, and after these things, again, metatauta, immediately after these things, metatauta, he says, I looked and behold, a great multitude. Apart from those 144,000, obviously he's a great multitude, which no one could number. He says, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white, with white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders of the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And verse 13 he says, Then one of the elders uh, answered saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? So he's kind of just asking like a rhetorical question to John. And John said there in verse 14, he says, How do you know? And so he said to me, these are, the one, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. And they shall neither, neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so we see John now, you know, as he's getting this, this vision of heaven during the tribulation period. He sees the 144,000 Jews, 12,000 for every tribe. But also we're told that he sees a great multitude. And again, this is another great, if you're into, you know, apologetics and into, you know, uh, uh, Conversing with, with, with people of other religions or cults, Jehovah's Witnesses specifically. You know, again, they teach that, that, that not everybody's going to go to heaven. 
you know, they don't they don't have a desire to go to heaven because they're they're indoctrinated to believe that where they where they want to go is a place called paradise, which is going to be this renewed earth, right? And so you would tell them, oh, oh you don't you want to go to heaven? Like, no, I want to go to paradise, right? And so they're they're indoctrinated to believe falsely, you know, that that they that they shouldn't desire heaven because heaven's only for the hundred forty four thousand, and that's how you will you're not going to go to heaven either. They'll say, you know, unless you're one of those 144,000, because then they'll point you back to here. And they say, see, look, only 144,000 make it to heaven. But yeah, again, if they were just read a little further, they would see that then John, in that same vision of heaven, he sees a great multitude. And notice the number, he says, which no one can number. I love this because all throughout the book of Revelation, we're given these huge numbers. John, I don't know if he, if he saw this, and he was able to count. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 144,000. Let me see from each tribe. One, two, three, four, twelve thousand. Twelve thousand. I don't know if he sat there and counted them all. I don't know how he knew that there were twelve thousand from every tribe. But for whatever reason, you know, he was able to understand that there, that there were one hundred forty-four thousand Jews. But when he saw this other great multitude in heaven, he said, "I, I could have been counting. There were just so many. There were, he thought nobody could count them. There was a multitude. There was a multitude of people which no one could number. Notice that no one, not even the angels, which no one could number. There in heaven." Of all God's saints, of all of God's redeemed, redeemed people, you and I, believers. I love that. I love that. And then he says this, that they weren't just Jews. They were of all nations, of all tribes, of all peoples, of all tongues. Now, we see that many will be saved during the tribulation period. You know, there will be one last great revival before the end of the tribulation period. That's God's grace. That's God's grace that even in the midst of all this chaos and destruction and the wrath of God being poured out on a, on a Christ-rejecting world, that there's going to be this one last revival on earth before the tribulation period ends and all these thousands and thousands and thousands just innumerable, innumerable amounts of people are going to be saved. Again, God's grace. God's grace. He's not the vengeful, angry God that is portrayed on TV or portrayed by you know, uh, unlearned or un uninformed individuals. No, He's a gracious, loving God. And so we see again as he sees this great multitude, you know, they begin to just praise God, they begin to just praise God. And so who are these multitudes? Uh, we could call them, they've been called the tribulation saints right? because they were saved during the tribulation period. You call them whatever you want. That's just a title. It doesn't make them any, any more or less than us. It, we're just, they got saved during the tribulation period. So they're tribulation saints, tribulation saints, I should say. All right. Now we're told that they're going to receive everything that God has for all those who place their trust in Him for salvation. Just because they got saved at the tribulation period, at the very end, doesn't mean that they're going to get any less of Jesus or any less of His blessings or any less of, of heaven or any less of God than anyone else. Notice what they receive. It says that, uh, that they are before, before the throne of God, verse 15, they serve Him day and night in His temple. And it says that, that He who dwells in the temple will dwell among them. They're neither hunger nor thirst anymore. Sun shall not strike them, nor heat. It says, For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living fountain of the water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So this is what, what, what they're going to receive, and this is what we're going to receive in Revelation 21. Now, as in Revelation 21, describing now the new heaven, the new earth, you know, for all believers, it says this in Revelation 21, 4, it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying, there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And so we see that these guys don't receive any less because they were saved at the last minute. I love that about the Lord. And there's a proverb, I believe it's in the, in the Gospel of Luke, you know, where you could, you could 
correct me after the study, you know, but I believe it's in the Gospel of Luke, maybe. I believe it's in Luke. Anyway, the, 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 the parable that Jesus is, is telling goes like this. That, uh, so Jesus tells this parable of, 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 of the owner of a farm. And it says that he goes out, he hires some guys, and he says, all right, I'll pay you this much for the day. He went out at 6 in the morning, he hired a bunch of guys, he said, I'll pay you 100 bucks for the day. He's like, all right, cool. Then he went out later on around, around 10 a.m., he hired some guys, and he said, oh, I'll pay you 100 bucks for the day. All right, cool. Then he goes out later on in the day, like around noon, he says, I'll pay you 100 bucks for the day. All right, cool. But they all ended their day at, at 3 p.m. And then when, when, when all of them are, are, going, are standing in line to get their money, and, and, and the workers see that everyone's getting 100 bucks, the ones that were there at 6 in the morning start complaining. They say, man, how come they're getting 100 bucks? We were here since 6 in the morning. Right? They, they just got here. They only worked for two hours. And they took three breaks. Right? And they got paid 100 bucks. And so we're told that, that the parable goes on to say, to say this. You know, that, 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 that Jesus was explaining that those who get saved hey, early on in your life, you know, you're not going to receive any more than those who get saved last minute. Or you get saved last minute and only have you know, a couple years, a couple months, a couple weeks. A few days or hours to serve the Lord or even know Him or be saved. So, hey man, you're not, you're not going to get any less than those who have served the Lord from you know, their childhood. I love that because God is not partial, right? And so you don't have to work up to the salvation. You don't have to work up to this great gift. It's like, man, whatever God will give any one of His kids, He'll give all His kids. I love that. I love that because these guys are receiving the same thing that, that everyone else is receiving in, in Revelation chapter 21. Amazing. And then just to end with this. Verse 17, I love what it says there in verse 17. It says, For the Lamb, talking about Jesus, is for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living down to the waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. As I was, you know, studying for this, man, I got to the end of it, and I was like, all right, I was tired. I'm like, all right, cool, I'm wrapping up my study. You know, I tend to kind of just get a little sloppy at the end sometimes. But I, I got to the verse, I'm just like, man, this is heavy. And the Lamb will shepherd them. You see this kind of like a, like, an, like a paradox. The lamb is the one who needs to be shepherded. But he has the lamb who's shepherding the believers. Because the lamb is Jesus, the ultimate shepherd. Right? The great shepherd. And I thought, man, the lamb will shepherd him. You know, he's going to be in the midst of them. He's going to shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. Right? You're familiar with Psalm, with Psalm 23. Uh, David, you know, he, he pens his psalm. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me by still waters. Right? He, 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 he leads me you know, uh, uh, through the shadow of death for His name's sake. And He goes on to just describe the tender care of His loving shepherd who is God. And I start thinking, man, God, I, Lord, be my shepherd. Lead me, Lord. And in a world where Lord, I'm just, you know, I don't know where to go. Lord, I want you to lead me. I want you to shepherd me. I want you to take me through that, that path that you've already laid out for me. And the truth is that we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to experience this loving, tender care of the shepherd you know Jesus wants to wants to shepherd our lives today if we, if we allow him to he will we don't have to wait till we're in heaven to say alright Lord shepherd me through heaven now no he wants to be our God he wants to be our shepherd here on earth he wants to have that tender loving care for you here on earth if you let him right he wants to care for us and lead us in the right path as we walk with him and trust in him, in him you know, as we're here on earth and my encouragement to all of us is like hey let the Lord lead you man let the Lord shepherd you Right? What I mean, what greater care than to be in, in, in the in, in the hands and the care of the of the great shepherd? Amen. Father, we love you, Lord. We praise you, Father. And I just uh, 